This is The Celluloid Ceiling, a podcast about women in film, starting from the early days of Hollywood all the way up to modern cinema. Take a journey with me, your host, Becca, as I explore all the different facets of filmmaking and all the amazing women making these films. Hello, and welcome back to The Celluloid Ceiling, a podcast about women in film. I'm your host, Becca. So this episode is going to be about directing, and specifically women directors from the beginning of filmmaking starting around the 1800s, and I'm going to go up to about 1925-ish. So, first, a history lesson. Directing as a job began in 1888 with the film Round Hay Garden Scene by Louis Le Prince. A lot of directing was very static. Some of the most interesting directors were actually magicians, which created early special effects, such as George Méliès in the 1800s and early 1900s. Unfortunately, it's really hard to find some of the history of women directors early on, as there really isn't much written about them. So do note that Hollywood was built due in part to women, like I said, and that's often overlooked. However, before Hollywood, Europe was a big player, and the East Coast, uh, like New York in the US, was the center of filmmaking before the push to Hollywood. And there was a lot of reasons why people moved to Hollywood, and I could tell you all about them, but that's really not the point of this podcast. So here are some of the early female directors. So we have Alice Guy Blanche. She was a film pioneer and likely the first female director. I've had some differing accounts say that there have been other first female directors, but we're going to go with Alice first. So she was born in France and then she moved to the States and was the head of a studio called Solac Studios in New York. She was most likely one of the first people to start making narrative films. And for a brief period of time, she was actually the only woman filmmaker in the world, which is pretty cool. So her famous film, A Fool and His Money, offered an African-American cast, which was pretty great. I know that there's a lot of talk of diversity in film now, and it seems like early films were actually incredibly diverse. And that's something where, much like our female history has been erased and hidden. A diverse history has been erased and hidden from film history. So I do not speak French. Uh, I took Spanish, so I'm sorry if I pronounce these incorrectly. La Fille au Chou, which is the Cabbage Fairy, in 1896 was her first narrative film. That's Alice, our very first film pioneer. So Alice's protege, Lois Weber, in the 1910s, was an actress, a screenwriter, a producer, and a director. And that seemed to be the way that most women were at the time. They were often doing multiple roles in these times, so not only just acting, directing, and producing. So it was more hands-on than, let's say, today's Hollywood. But sometimes there actually are people who act, produce, and direct, and, <laughs> and write their films today. Film historian Anthony Slide calls Lois one of the most important filmmakers due to the fact that she was one of the first auteurs, meaning she was involved in a lot of the aspect of the film, like I just said. So a lot of her films dealt with social justice, and sadly, most of them are missing to this day. Film is very fragile, and unfortunately, we've lost a lot of different films and important films and even some of the first films. So Lois was making big-budget films with quality compared to D.W. Griffith. So if you don't know who D.W. Griffith is, he was a big filmmaker at the time. He did Birth of a Nation. Um, Of course, there's all the racism issues, so we're going to leave him out of this. So Lois made some pretty controversial films, such as Hypocrites in 1915, which actually had a full frontal female nudity scene and a film on abortion and birth control called Where Are My Children? Now this is actually going to be a common theme, as we see a lot of women dealing with really intense sort of social justice topics in film, and 
it got through and people enjoyed them and people liked working with them and watching them. So it's interesting if you think about how films back then were. So they can make films about topics that they wanted to and that's going to be something that's really not going to be happening after the Hayes Code gets enacted. So she actually is credited with making the very first adaptation of Tarzan and the Apes in 1918. She worked with a number of studios, including Universal, and in June of 1917, she became the first woman director to establish her own studio, which is pretty cool. Now, at the time when she was working for Universal, she was a pretty big deal there, uh, and she was said to be honestly their top director there and their their biggest money maker at Universal and people really wanted to work with her. In 1960 she actually received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. As I was saying earlier about Alice and there being some different facts about if she was the first female director or not, there's also Dorothy Arzner. She's said to be the first director in the Hollywood studio system and now I'm not going to quite talk about Dorothy just yet in this episode. I'm going to be talking more about her in the next episode. We're going to talk about the Hollywood Golden Age, but I figured I would just mention her now just because it's, it's kind of important. All right, so Mabel Norman is another actress, screenwriter, producer, and director who worked at Keystone Films in 1910 and 1920s, and she actually often worked with Charlie Chaplin. Her name is was uh, kind of she had some sort of scandals at the time, so her name was actually involved in two murder scandals, but she was never a suspect in either William Desmond Taylor or Cortland S. Dines murders. So, hmm. Uh, Mabel's Stormy Love Affair was a film that she directed and starred in, which was part of several films involving the Mabel character. She mostly worked on shorter films and tended to co-direct with people such as Fatty Arbuncle, Mark Sennett, and Charlie Chaplin. Mabel also has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So cool fun facts, the main star of Sunset Boulevard, the film, Norma Desmond, is said to be a nod to Mabel Norman and William Desmond Taylor. So, unfortunately, those scandals of the murders and the tuberculosis that she ended up uh, contracting had a real big effect on her career, and she died in 1930 at the age of 37 and didn't get to make as many films as she wanted to with her tarnished name and her health. So Lita Lawrence was an African-American filmmaker who was active in the 1920s. Her film Motherhood, Life's Greatest Miracle in 1927 was about birth control and abortion and was once again pretty controversial and groundbreaking. Now, unfortunately, I can't really find much about Lita Lawrence because, like I said, we have a lot of our film history erased, especially if it's from people of color or anyone other than a white male. <laughs> Let's be real. So we also have... Ruth Ann Baldwin, who was the first woman ever to direct a Western in 1917. We have Marion E. Wong, who founded the Mandarin Film Company and helmed the first Chinese-American film, Curse of Quan Gon, in 1916. So a lot of the films in this early era of cinema tended to deal with a lot of social issues like race, poverty, and abortion. And it's really interesting to see that that was some of the earliest films in film history and how important they were on social justice, how controversial they were, how they were really different than what we think about when we think of like classic Hollywood cinema in the sense that the Hayes Code and we had all of this and having all of this censorship on films. So it's hard to imagine or believe that these women had such 
control over these topics and interesting topics like this. And we probably like wouldn't even see some of this stuff today uh, for mostly main audiences. So that was our look at the very first female directors in the beginning of film history. Next week, we're going to discuss the golden age of Hollywood. And while that technically includes 1915, which I did here in this episode, uh, it's going to overlap a little bit. Thanks for listening to The Cellulite Ceiling. My name is Becca. See you next time. This has been The Cellulite Ceiling, a podcast researched, created, and edited by me. Special thanks to my dad, Mark Castaneda, for doing the music. 